So we actually have to stop with, stop with, we have to start by ending the last lesson. Oh, who was John Brown and what was his deal? So first, now you guys know him fairly well. Who was John Brown? An abolitionist, but not just any abolitionist. What was notable about him? He, he liked to kill people. Yeah, he was, he was super violent. Super violent, killed tons of people. Not really tons, but lots. He did have a lot of sons. And they helped him for the most part. I don't know if there was one that was like, Dad, I'm not going here with you. But it's cool. So that Potawatomi Creek, what did he do? He went and killed a bunch of slave owners, and that triggered what? How did the pro-slavery people react? <laughs> yeah, the short version is bleeding Kansas. They kill people, and then the others kill people, and we just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So what happened at Harper's Ferry? He decided he was going to free the slaves, so he took over the ferry. How did that turn out were the slaves freed no. they were not yes he was less effective now look on your paper at is it 13 14 sorry sorry Lexi no where's the third page yeah 19 19 What did you put? What did you think was the cause? You're hesitating. You're like, I don't know. So get, in history, are there wrong answers? You just took a test. In history, are there wrong answers? Yeah, there's definitely wrong answers. Yeah, but there's sometimes that there, that the things are so complex that either we can't find the answer or the answer is just really complicated. It includes more than one thing. Think of something really simple. Like, what did you have for breakfast this morning? There's lots of things that factored into that. Or why did you have that for breakfast this morning? Or why did you skip breakfast this morning? Lots of things come into that. The choices, because you live in the United States, so you probably didn't have mealworms and peanut butter. No, or crickets. Right? Some of you skipped it because we live in the U.S. You were more likely to have cereal than anything else. That has to do with the history of the Kellogg's. We saw some of that if you were here the day we were watching that documentary. Right? There's all these factors. Then it depends on your mood and whoever does the shopping, their mood when they were shopping and whether you have a Costco membership and uh, what cereal was on sale and what shortages are occurring and what we grow in the United States. Right? So all these things come into one very basic decision. So when we come back to something like John Brown and why he did what he did, we are never going to figure out exactly what he was thinking, ever. So how many of you thought it was A? You liked A. How many of you thought B? And you can vote more than once. B is the most popular, it looks like. C? D? Okay, when you're... When I check this, I'm only check. I'm not even going to look at 19. 
but I'm going to look at 20. And I just want to make sure that you had a reason, a valid reason, not a dumb reason like, oh, I closed my eyes and pointed. So I decided that must be it. So John Brown does his thing at Harper's Ferry. It does not go well, and he is ultimately captured, put on trial. Now, when he's put on trial, guess what they find? Innocent or guilty? Why do they find him guilty? Because it's almost like he killed him. Yeah, because he was super freaking guilty. This is not a miscarriage of justice. This is exactly, this guy is a serial killer, really. So uh, they sentenced him to be hanged. Here's your random information for the day. Things like this poster were hung. People were hanged because people are different than objects, so it's a different part of speech. That is not important unless you're writing a novel <laughs> set in the Old West or something, but th there you go. Uh, so they hang him, and so what? Well, he's a hero to a lot of the abolitionists and a lot of the people in the North. So they start to sing this song about him, about his body. John Brown's body lay a moldering in the grave, which is pretty creepy when you think about it. And then the second line is exactly like the first line. You know the tune this goes to, right? It's the Battle Hymn of the Republic. This, it was originally John Brown's body. My kids are like, it's not body, it's baby. It's like, because you were listening to that when you were a little child. And they censored it for you because I don't know why they even put it on children's CDs. But it's fairly common. Uh, but it's John Brown's body. Uh, someone eventually rewrites it, makes it a little, little better. And you may have already been working with... Uh, um, the primary documents, like I gave you that one. And then this lady takes it and she rewrites it into this grand epic like hymn sounding thing. And we tend to think the Battle Hymn of the Republic, we tend to think the Battle Hymn of the Republic is the real version, but it's not. The original is John Brown's Body. It's a folk song. This song is so powerful, so strong, that this is what the Union troops sing as they go into, into battle. So while most of the Union troops, they're not fighting to end slavery, they're just trying to preserve the Union, uh, we can see from this song that there is some element of abolitionism in the way the North feels. John Brown's body, so creepy. People were creepy in the past. So we get to the Confederacy. It's time for shots to be fired. First, though, we got to we got to get there. So you remember Bleeding Kansas. We were just talking about it. You remember Harper's Ferry and all this other stuff. A few other things are going on politically. There's this court case called the Dred Scott case. Dred Scott is this guy. He was enslaved to this dude named Sanford. And Sanford decided that he was going to go on a business trip or a vacation or something. And he took his slave, Dred Scott, along with him. 
And in the process, they rode on the train through some states in the northern part of the United States. So Dred Scott is like, I've been in the north, I'm free. And his master says, no, you're not. You're my property, and because you're my property, I could take you wherever I want. You're like my suitcase. Or like, uh, you know, my pants. Just because I take pants into another state doesn't make them someone else's pants. And so Scott sues, and it goes all the way to the Supreme Court. And do you remember how the Supreme Court decides? They decide, yeah, they decide that the Constitution says that people's property is their property. And so it doesn't matter where Sanford takes his slaves. Because they're his property, he can take them anywhere he wants in the United States, and they are still his property. Now, what's important about that is that it really reveals that we are not going to end slavery in the United States without some bloodshed. They're not going to be able to politically just do away with it. Now, also in the political spectrum, we have President Buchanan, who looks a little bit like Beethoven's cousin. Did you see it? Yeah, good. Okay, it's not just me. Uh, Buchanan was increasingly thought to be incompetent. So first, he's not controlling bleeding Kansas at all. When you have people in a state fighting against other people in the state, somebody ought to take that that somebody's the president his job is to execute the laws he shouldn't be allowing this and yet he is he just sits and watches so people are like hey, dude is, is this guy competent at all meanwhile he hears that the latter-day saints in utah are rebelling against the government this is a rumor. He doesn't bother to discover if it's true. He just sends an army to come into Utah and put down the Mormon rebellion. When the army gets here, they discover that there is no rebellion and that they keep trying to join the United States. And they're actually celebrating the 4th of July. Uh, but they're not really fond of being invaded by an army. As you can kind of imagine. So we, we in Utah history, we call that Utah's, the Utah War. Uh, Buchanan's contemporaries called it Buchanan's Blunder. Like, hey, dummy, don't listen to rumors. Like, check them out. Don't send an army to invade. What are you, what are you thinking? So if Buchanan's incompetent, it's time to look for other leadership. So looking at these... You don't need to know who all these people are, except obviously the one on the far left. Looking at these people, which one? Not which one. Why did the ones on the right lose? Let's start with the easiest, John Bell. Why do you think he lost? 
He wanted to protect slavery and at the same time protect the union. Can you really do both of those at this point from what we've learned? Yeah, he's, he's like a wig. He's not going to survive. This is just not possible to do these two things. Okay, now, look at Douglas and Breckenridge. What's the difference between those two? Yeah, excellent. So one is kind of pro-slavery, the other is kind of anti-slavery. One's from the north, one's from the south. What party are they from? What happens if a political party runs two people at the same time? Uh, yeah, good. They can't, neither one can get enough votes. They split the vote. So if you split the vote, who's left? Abraham Lincoln. So Lincoln comes in. Lincoln is relatively unknown outside of his home state. He is really revered inside his home state. They know that he's intelligent. He's, I was going to say smart, but that's the same thing as intelligent. Um, he's fast. He's quick. He's witty. He's smart. Just case in point, someone called him two-faced. And he said, hey, if I had two faces, is this the one that I would be wearing? Right? So he's pretty, he's pretty, he's pretty uh, self-depreciating. He's a fairly humble guy, but he's also a brilliant guy. So when Lincoln takes over, the South freaks out. Lincoln is not even president yet, and they're like, if you elect this horrible person, we realize that there's nothing to do but for us to form our own country. So they do. It starts with South Carolina. And here we have it. You need to know the word secession. Secession means you're going to leave, you're going to split off from. And then I just have some stuff. I'm going to refer to these things. So when I talk about the Union, you should recognize that I'm really talking about the United States of America. If I say the North, this is the US, USA, you know, us. If I talk about the South, I'm talking about the Confederate States, Confederate States of America, Jefferson Davis. Don't copy down any information that you already know. But while I'm not going to test you and be like, what was the official name of the South during the Civil War? I will say the Confederacy and expect you to just know that that's the South and the Confederate States of America. And when we talk about the blue and the gray. Yeah. Confederate means joined together in a common cause. It means they're independent, but they're working together. And that's why they chose it. So we're the United States of America. So we're one country built out of many states. They saw themselves as a bunch of independent states. So a bunch of states that were just kind of aligned for convenience. And by the way, this, this is not going to work at all. When you base your government on the idea that any state can just leave when it's in the mood to,
it's it's not going to work. All right. You need to know what they were thinking at the beginning. So we already read, or it's an assignment to read. Maybe you're not that far yet. The... Um, We already read the kind of Declaration of Independence that South Carolina wrote. That's in today's, today's this week's assignment. So now we're going to go to the vice president. She's not here. She hasn't been here for like a week. Um, we're going to go to Alexander H. Stevens. He's the vice president of the Confederate States of America. So would the vice president of a country be a good source in, for information about that country? Yeah, yeah, so he really knows his stuff. He gives a speech, 1861, that's when the Civil War starts, called the Cornerstone Speech. He explains what are the cornerstones of us splitting off, and he gives four. Three, you see in front of you, the fourth is super long, we'll talk about it in a minute. So what I want you to do is read these three and see if in your notes you can come up with the three things through the first three things the Confederate States want. Have you read the first one yet? It's kind of tricky, right? The other two are pretty straightforward, but the first one's tricky. What does put to rest mean, or put at rest? Yes, yeah, stopped. It's what you do with someone when they die. You put them to rest. You lay them to rest. So Congress regulating commerce, they put that to rest. That means Congress can't do any more tariffs. So no more tariffs. And then get the other two. Yes, ma'am. Nope. No, if you're like the Secretary of State, you can't also be a senator. Conflict of interest. So you're in, if you're in the legislative branch, your job is to stop the executive branch. So that's why. Yeah, they're messing with checks and balances. Also a super great idea. Just
Okay, did you get them, the three of them? Okay, let's get you the last one. So he does this in like four paragraphs. It's super short. I didn't make you read all four paragraphs because they're too boring. And so now let's get to the meat of it. He spends the entire rest of his speech talking about the other thing that he's thinking about, the other reason they're seceding. Guess what it is? Oh, yeah, you're smart. Yep. So go ahead and read this one. Yeah. He did just call slavery immoral. Well, no, technically he called uh, treating black people as unequal immoral truth. I don't, yeah, I agree with you. But it's important that you read this for yourself instead of me just preaching at you. Because me just preaching at you, you can be like, oh, well, I know my teacher said it. But if I prove it in the documents, okay. So immediate cause it says up at the top. The immediate cause of the late rupture and present revolution. What's the word we use for the uh, late rupture and present re revolution? What what do we call it? I like it, but. We call it the Civil War. Okay, the immediate cause then is the thing that led right to the Civil War. So he, they're angry about four things. Which is the primary cause of the Civil War? Slavery. This is why if you get a group of historians together and you say, what's the cause of the Civil War? They say slavery. If you get a bunch of average Americans together and you say, what's the cause of the Civil War? They're like, oh. It could be this or it could be this. Even if you get a bunch of history teachers together and you say, hey, what's the cause of the Civil War? You get multiple answers. But people who really know because they've read the documents. So now you've read the documents, so now you really know. Would they have seceded for any of these three reasons? No. No, we take away slavery, we remove the Civil War from our history. Now, is it more complicated? If you just put slavery, if this is the, if I say what's the cause of the Civil War, you put slavery on the essay question, are you going to get 10 out of 10? Absolutely not. Is it more complicated than that? Yeah, absolutely, yes. But if you put states' rights as the reason, you are definitely not getting a good grade either. That is, that is a history teacher piece of crap that's wrong. And I will show you why, because someone made it up after the Civil War, a Southerner. And you'll learn to know the name of that. It's called the Lost Cause. And we'll spend a day talking about how come people think it's something besides slavery.
because the South wanted us to believe it's something besides slavery, and they were super good at selling that idea. They still try to sell it. Yeah. Yes. Uh huh. By the time the war ended, attitudes had changed a little bit. In war, attitudes change really fast, and they, they start to see that this is part of why they lost. And so really, they rewrite the narrative to make it so they won. In reality, the war isn't won by the victor. I know that sounds stupid. But it's won by whoever can spin it the right way. All right, so shots fired. Place called Fort Sumter. Oh, by the way, just so you know, why am I belaboring this whole slavery thing? Why, why, why do I hit it and beat it? Because it's something that gets taught wrong a lot. Because it's something that needs to be corrected. And so it's something that you need the facts about what happened in history, not just some random person's interpretation. And politicians and media people, they go back and they try to repaint it, and they think that they're right. And so that's why I want you to see the documents. So sometime in the future when someone says, oh, it's this, you could be like, I read the thing. I remember this speech. I, I remember. I saw this. I know for myself. Hey, Fort Sumter. So... By the time Lincoln, so between his election and when he was inaugurated as president, the South had taken over every American fort in the South except for four. One of those four is Fort Sumter. So you have the, these troops here. They get surrounded by Confederate soldiers, and they're running low on supplies. They write a letter to President Lincoln. They're like, hey, you know, what, what do you want us to do? You're the commander-in-chief. He says, hold out. Yeah. They, that's a good question. They're only stopping food from coming in. Food or weapons or reinforcements. They will allow people to go in and out, and they will allow um, letters to go in and out because they want Lincoln to say, just give up the fort. That's a good question. I like that you're thinking. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. Hey, so what are they supposed to do? He says, hold out, and he knows that it could be bad, but just a couple of weeks into his presidency, he sends food down to them. He sends it with a little military group. What he says himself, he's like, all I did was send food for hungry men. That's it. Does not matter. Once the food gets close to it, the Confederacy is like, no, -uh, you're not getting food, and they open fire. They start shooting at the fort. The Fort Sumter, the commander, manages to hold out until he writes this letter. And I, I should have got it for you because it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. He's like, dear Mr. President, um, we have held out for several days. And then he starts listing the things that are on fire. The barracks are aflame. 
this is a flame. The kitchens are a flame. Then he's like, the magazines, the, the arsenal, uh, the fire was so hot that it melted the doors and we can no longer get to the weapons. I'm going to go ahead and surrender. <laughs> like, he's like, I don't know what else to do. I just, I have to, I have to give up. So the Confederacy lets them leave and the first shots were fired and we have the beginning of the Civil War. Seriously? I hate late start days. Hey, you guys are awesome. Tomorrow we'll finish this lecture and then we will do a, um, I'll give you some time to work on your stuff. I know you need time to work on your stuff. So the short, first shots of the Civil War have been fired. We have the first piece of destruction and weeping and wailing and death and dismemberment. Now, Lincoln realizes he's got to have more troops, and so he calls them out. One of the people he calls up, and by calling up, I mean talks to, uh, is Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee is widely regarded as the best general at the time. They thought he was awesome, and he would be the guy to lead the Union. The problem Lee had was that his state had seceded. He did not think that they ought to secede. He didn't think they had a right to secede. But he was kind of like, hey, you know what? My state went, and I'm going to stay with my state. And so he goes with them and secedes also. And so he becomes the, the head general for the Confederacy. Now, as an interesting side note here, Lee's home is a place called Arlington. You know how they name fancy homes, uh, fancy buildings, they give them a name? His is called Arlington, and uh, his whole estate and his big house and, and everything. So when he secedes from the Union, when he, when he decides to join the Confederacy, uh, they blame all of the death and destruction on him. If he'd gone with the North, if he'd gone with the United States and stayed with us, he would have um, maybe ended the war a lot faster. So in punishment, they take his home, his estate, and they turn it into a cemetery. It still is. If you are one of our honored veterans, or you die defending the United States, uh, they will bury you at Arlington, Arlington National Cemetery. The idea was that Lee could look out his window, see the graves, and know the destruction that he could have prevented. So a harsh punishment and an interesting historical side note there. Now, now both sides believe that this war is going to be over very quickly. They believe it's going to be over like by Christmas. By the way, that's very common in history. People will always argue that the war is going to be over very soon. It never is. Uh, if you hear that in your future, probably don't believe it. It it's just doesn't tend to turn out that way. So, um, we tend to think and, and talk even, even in a college class like this, we tend to talk like, well, the slave states seceded. And that's true, but it's not the whole picture. 
there are a number of states that they call border states these are states that were pro slavery that they had slaves but they chose to stay with the united states and you could see them on the map missouri kentucky uh, virginia if you'll notice there they they went off and eventually some of them were like we hate this we're going to rejoin the union and we have west virginia forming um, maryland uh, Maryland's important because Washington, D.C., the capital of the United States, is in the south. And it's on the border between Virginia and Maryland. So, fortunately, Maryland didn't secede also, or the capital of the U.S. would have been completely in enemy territory instead of just bordering it. So, know what the border states were, and kind of, no, you don't have to memorize who they were, but just kind of know. Now, a few notes, we're going to contrast the North and the South. Uh, the North had better technology. This is especially true of their weapon technology. They have better guns, better bullets. Their bullets are designed to be more effective. And uh, generally just, uh, if it's technological, it's better in the North. Uh, they have a better economy. Their economy is stronger. Their trade is stronger. Where the South is based so much on kind of an agrarian thing, the North is based on trade. And so that economic difference is huge. In war, part of what you have to do is keep your country functioning so that you have some income coming. And the North is able to do that better. And then the North just has better infrastructure, particularly when it comes to railroads. The North has more miles of railroads laid than the South. It goes to more places. So the North is going to be able to move their troops and their supplies around much better. So you see technology, they really have better supplies. Trade, they have more money for supplies. And infrastructure, they have the ability to move their supplies. Now, the South has more heart. They're just more into it. They, they support this, this is the cause, they, they love this, um, and that kind of heart really matters quite a bit. And almost all of the generals, the ones who were trained at West Point, our military college, went with the South. So the South got most of the really well-trained uh, generals and people like that, and so that mattered. Now, let's get to the first battle. Uh, the first battle, Bull Run, picture, picture this. There are, um, there's Bull Run, which a run, think of that, it's like a, a little tiny stream going through the, the bottom of a little tiny ravine. And on the two sides, there's two hills poking up, one on each side. So they are so convinced that this war is going to be short and simple and over quickly that picnickers actually show up at the Battle of Bull Run and bring their families so that they can sit and uh, watch the carnage. They think it's going to be great. Now, this shows how familiar they really were with war. Because in reality, of course, bullets don't just fly forward. They'll go sideways and... People will run to the hills where you are. They're, they're not going to be like, oh, no, the picnickers. I'm going to stand here and die so that I'm not drawing any fire in their direction. 
It's just not the way it works. And so these picnickers are eventually going to have a bad time of it, but they really show how naive the people were at the time. Now, the north managed to rout the south. The south was uh, running away. They ran into one of their generals who managed to get them to stop and turn around and face the Union Army. He was so intimidating standing there in front of them that they give him the nickname Stonewall. Because of the Battle of Bull Run, he stood like a stone wall when the men were coming and the fighting reached him. We'll see Stonewall Jackson a few other times. Uh, but here's the key. They learned from this battle that the war was going to be longer, that it was going to be bloodier, that it was going to be more costly than anyone had imagined. It was going to be way worse than they anticipated. And so this is the problem. This, this is the issue. This war is the thing. And they learned at the Battle of Bull Run just how bad it was going to be.